Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 247, where we interview Alex Felice and talk about past money mistakes and how you don't have to let that define or limit you. So I was like, I lose my job. I have no money in the bank to even get me like through this first hurdle. Never mind how I'm going to, you know, get income and all this stuff. And I looked at my life and I was like, this is a hundred percent my fault because I wasn't taking responsibility certainly during the day of, but I wasn't taking responsibility for the last 30 years. I wasn't set. I wasn't taking responsibility for my future. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen and joining me today as guest host is David Perret from the Military Millionaire Group and Podcast. David, thanks for clearing off your schedule to join me in making fun of my best friend, Alex Felice. I met Alex in the Bigger Pockets forums a hundred years ago, where he was giving really great advice about real estate investing. So I reached out to let him know, and we've been besties ever since. And I met Alex at FinCon in 2018. We've been great friends, talk real estate, and he even co-hosts the podcast with me. So this is going to be a lot of fun. I met you at FinCon in 2018. That was in Orlando, right? Correct. We took a picture. So David and Scott and I took a picture with big Brandon beards to send to Brandon Turner. Because he no-showed the conference. Oh, you know what? We could put a link to that picture in the show notes. All right. All the blackmail (laughs) photos on me. (laughs) Yes. I'm going to have to start getting more blackmail photos for you. Okay. David and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. And today's guest is the epitome of making a bunch of financial mistakes and still coming out on top. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, graduate college debt free or start your own business, we will help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so that you can launch yourself towards your dreams. Okay, like I said before, Alex Felice is joining us today on the show. And Alex is one of my favorite people on the planet. Despite all the ribbing that I give him during the show today, he is incredibly smart. He has a great outlook at the world in general and American life in particular. And he has made some pretty big money mistakes in his past, but they didn't define him. He was able to first take ownership of the fact that he was making mistakes and then change the way that his mind felt about money and the way that he focused on money and has changed his financial outlook from, what are we calling this, from financial disaster to financial master. (laughs) And he is really, truly living life the way that he chooses. He spends time doing things he wants. If he doesn't want to do them, he doesn't do them. He no longer has to trade his time for money. Yeah, absolutely. Alex is completely cracked the nut on financial independence. And it's just really cool to see because he did it in such a simple and replicable way. And it makes it look easy. And now he's able to just enjoy life. Exactly. We don't have lottery winners on the show because that's not repeatable. But Alex's message and method is absolutely repeatable, which is why he's going to join us. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Alex Felice, my best friend in the whole world. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited that you're on today. I am so excited to be here. It's been, you've been asking me to come on here for a while. So I'm glad we finally made it happen. I really am too. I think you have a fabulous money story. And I think all of our listeners are going to get a lot out of it because you were kind of a financial mess, right? A complete financial disaster for 31 years. Yep. 31 years of financial disaster. This is going to be an awesome show. So where does your financial disaster story begin? Oh, well, I started a disaster. It wasn't like it. It was uh, it was a disaster of um, ignorance, actually, right? Like, you know, my parents taught me kind of the right things, you know, save money, spend less than you earn, uh, but it didn't stick. And so I, I just spent all my money. I just we lived week to week, had no plan, got, got a good chunk of debt. Is that, are we really starting right, just like that? You really want to go right to the... Yes, I'm really starting just like that. Tell me okay. what happened. Like, where were you growing up in uh, high school? Did you have a ton of debt when you graduated high school? When you graduated college? Did you even go to college? I know you were in the military. Tell me all the things. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I had no <laughs> Pretend money. Pretend that people who are listening have never heard your money story before and they want to. Oh, okay. Uh, that's hard. Usually I assume everybody is paying attention to everything I do. Well, so they are. I joined the army basically broke with no skills and no um, like real goal. It was, ap- it was I joined out of apathy, which uh, is kind of how a lot of people, especially enlisted join. I had nothing better going on. So this is not a good way to start a uh, career, just to be clear. So you joined the army and they kind of turned me around a little bit and taught me some competence and and gave me um, some skills. But, you know, they don't teach you money skills. In fact, they kind of want you to stay in. So you don't have, they don't have to teach you that stuff. You get out and I was in debt. I had a car payment, which is what all soldiers do. And I had a little bit of credit card debt. You know, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't good. 
But most importantly, I had no plan. And I had this uh, very uh, common, I don't know how, this very common theme in American culture where I just assumed that because I'm awesome, it was going to all work out. <laughs> this is not a good strategy for success in anything. But, but this is very common. I know it's funny to hear it. It's funny to say, but this is how a lot of people, they just think, oh, well, the next paycheck, I'm going to get promoted. The next job, they'll value me more. I, uh, you know, my thing will work out. I'll get this inheritance. I'll get this check. Whatever the case, it's just going to work out for some reason, because apparently the universe is just going to work out for you. And so that's what I thought. And uh, I ended up selling cars, which is a tough business, but it's good to learn sales. And so I was making good money, probably 80 grand a year or so, but I was spending more of that than, than I earned. And I was always like, well, I'll save next paycheck. I'll save next month. I'll save when I get a promotion. Um, whatever the case. And then around, 2000 and, around 2010, I made probably the biggest mistake of my life to date. Uh, I got a DUI, alleged, an alleged DUI, <laughs> non, a non-convicted alleged DUI. And, you know, I, I remember getting out and I had just made a good chunk of money that, that year. And I remember I didn't have enough money in the bank to pay a lawyer. And the lawyer was like three grand, not big, big money. And I was like, bro. And I lost my job because I was selling cars. You need a license. So your license gets revoked. So I was like, I lose my job. I have no money in the bank to even get me like through this first hurdle. Never mind how I'm going to, you know, get income and all this stuff. And I looked at my life and I was like, this is a hundred percent my fault because I wasn't taking responsibility certainly during the day of, but I wasn't taking responsibility for the last 30 years. I wasn't set. I wasn't taking responsibility for my future. And so I had a real Phoenix moment um, and everything's changed since then. And I was like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen in my future. And this is going to be a tough hurdle to go through, but there's another, you know, 60 years to, to live. So I got to, uh, this is not an interim thing. This is going to change everything. And forever and ever and ever, this is never, ever going to happen to me again. I will never let my poor decisions make such an impasse because of certainly free grand. I had to call my parents and ask for money. And me and my parents are not on that good of terms. That was a really humbling moment. So since, so after that happened, I just said, uh, whatever, everything else in life becomes second and freedom, financial, more than just financial freedom, because I didn't, you know, I didn't really like my job or, but I wanted self-sustainability. I wanted to, to know that my life and the way I live it is on my terms. And it's because I created it, not just because, oh, I just want to hang on the beach or oh, I just want to, you know, tell my, my boss to screw off. It's like, no, dude, I want to protect myself against the inevitable you know, flood of life that's going to come and wreak havoc on you unexpectedly. And I want to be prepared, deadly, 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 seriously prepared. Good, good. That's the whole thing. That's the whole reason we do this show is so people can be prepared for the curveballs that life throws at them. And one of the best, easiest ways to be prepared is to have your financial house in order. So you don't have to always be worrying about money or thinking about money or you know, trading the time that you have, the very precious time you have on this earth for money instead of doing what you want. So Alex, do you have a job now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't really have a job. Or I don't have an employer. You don't have an employer. Okay, so you are unemployed. Yeah, when people ask me at parties um, what I do, I tell them I'm unemployed. But that's mostly just because 
uh, it makes people uncomfortable. And yeah. I love it. But I do, oh. <laughs> I do real, <laughs> I do real estate kind of full time, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of a photographer now. That that happened. Sort of a photographer. Okay, I am going to jump in here as your best friend. I'm going to. Does he need any help, David, to toot his own horn? No. Alex has the most confidence of anybody I've ever met in my whole life. However, Alex is an unbelievable photographer. He is an absolutely stunning photographer. If you went to the Bigger Pockets conference, you saw him with his camera around his neck. He's got uh, 20,000 pictures that you took of the conference, and they're all absolutely perfect. He's a wonderful photographer. He is also a real estate investor, but there's quite a bit of time that we have jumped ahead to. So we need to go back in time to 2010, the site of your alleged DUI, and see what happened between 2010 and the end of 2021, which we are at right now. Can I jump in for two seconds and just throw out, I want to, I think we kind of skimmed over this really important, what I view as like the mindset shift here, right? So Viktor Frankl talks about in his book that like a man search for meaning that the people who passed away in the concentration camp were the optimists, right? The people who just assumed good things were going to happen. What you mentioned at the beginning was you got out of the military and you were like, I'm awesome. Things will be great. And I think a lot of people think and assume like, oh, great things are going to come to me because I'm a decent person or because I whatever. But it's like the catalyst, that painful alleged DUI, that change. What what I noticed in your in your tonality there was what shifted was the fact that you went from like, hey, awesome things are going to happen because I'm a good dude to holy crap, I need to take ownership or responsibility of this and I need to t- put some effort into fix this. And I think that like that shift of realizing like, oh, man, this is on me. I don't know. I see it in a lot of trajectories and a lot of stories, and that seems to be like a pivotal moment. So usually, unfortunately, after a painful experience, myself included, but uh, I just want to point that out. So maybe someone listening realizes, hey, I should probably look at this more objectively than just assuming good things are going to come your way. I'm glad you brought that up. I did highlight that part uh, when I'm taking notes for the the quotes that we're going to use. That's a really great quote. You said, I thought because I was awesome, everything would work out. And like David just said, nobody, you're like, you're not the only person who thinks that. I mean, you're the only person who thinks you're awesome, but you're not the only person who thinks that because I'm awesome, everything's just going to happen. And, you know, I love that you took ownership of that. Uh, money is a mental game, 99.9%. It really is. So once my mentality shifts from entitlement, which is, oh, it's going to work out because I showed up to more like, hey, life is unbearably hard and unfair. And the and if you the best you can do is take radical responsibility for your like stop making it worse for yourself and maybe it'll get better. But uh yeah, I definitely don't expect the future to be better. I am now more like radically paranoid about the future. And then if it works out good, gr- then that's it, then that's great. But I don't assume that the future is going to be better. And then I just have to sit around and, and wait for it. I assume the future is going to be bad. And that's why I work so hard um, to prevent and prepare for, you know, chaos. I like it. So once you had this catalyst, what was it? What, what were the, some of the first steps that you took to correcting that trajectory? I knew that. Okay. So I sat down and I, and I said, here's what I, here's what I have to do. I got to fix this money problem. And um, I signed up and I went to college. I had the GI Bill. So I said, I'm going to get a degree in finance because I figured if I learn about money, then I'll be able to I'll be able to manage my money. And that didn't work out exactly right. But kind of in a roundabout way that that 
that worked. Like if you understand and learn about money, you get control of money. And that's a big portion of, of uh, the, your money situation is control more than amount, right? You can live on a lot of freedom with not that much money, but it, you can have a lot of money. You can have a high income and no control and you're, you know, you're screwed. So I sat down and I said, I, I, I don't want, I needed cash flow income. I needed something that kicked off cash, not equity. So the stock market wasn't right for me. Um, I needed, I didn't have anything to sell, right? I don't have any skills, talents. And I didn't really want employees. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go to work every day, right? I'm kind of lazy. So uh, I didn't, and I didn't have any money. And so I'm like, well, what, what works if you put all those together, right? I'm broke, lazy, um, wanted cash. <laughs> uh, and uh, so real estate, rental real estate. Turns out in 2014, we're at the bottom of this foreclosure boom. You can go right in the MLS and pick up properties left and right. I didn't have any money, but, um, but that, that, that idea sat in my head. So, but I, I had no money to my name still, right? So then I go on the internet and I search, I want to get rich, but I don't want to get rich quick scheme. And what's the first thing that pops up? Get rich slowly. A, who, a guy who is now a friend of mine, JD Roth. And just that idea that if you follow key principles, like, again, it's a money thing. It's a value system. It's a value hierarchy. It's a way you live your life. If you follow these rules, you're going to create wealth. It's like almost, you know, it's almost predetermined. It's inevitable. And so it's like, and so I just started saying, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to play the long game on this and I'm going to get ahead. And it's real simple stuff that you guys talk about all the time. Pay yourself first. I pay myself first, no matter what. I don't care. I don't care who's, who's not getting paid as long as I get paid first. That's first, most important. Um, save 20% of your income. Some people I know save 30, 40, 50, 60%. I was like, dude, I, I, I'm just trying to get this thing to work in a way that I know that it'll always work. And so I just started employing these, uh, never spend money on things that don't make you money. Um, and then, you know, uh, ideas like sacrifice. I sold my car. I bought a beater. I stopped buying clothes. I stopped, you know, uh, I was, I was a drinker, right. I stopped doing all that stuff. And so literally it's nothing special. It was, uh, put the future value, the future ahead of the present, make radical, uh, take radical responsibility and make whatever sacrifice that's needed to attain the higher good. So I saved a little bit of money and then until it was three years, like I went and got my degree and it, was, it wouldn't be for three years, 2014, that I ended up buying a foreclosure that I moved in. Um, we, I think I, I put like three grand down. And I paid like $55,000 for that house. You really can't do that anymore. We moved in. It was, an, it was an FHA loan. And like 18 months later, I went and got a refinance and it was worth like 120. Did you cash out refi? And that's when I was like, and that's when I was like, yo, real estate is easy. I'm going to do this forever. As soon as, but it was very interesting because I had been broke for 31 years. And then I tried for three years and I had made more money than I ever made in my life. Now it was just equity, but still I was like, this is going to, this trajectory is a whole different than the entire first portion of my life had been. So that's when I knew I was like radical responsibility. Here are the res results. It works. Now let's go run with it. Okay, so you bought the first house. You lived in there for 18 months. You refinanced it for a ridiculous amount of money. Did you pull the money out of the house to go buy another house? I am a very risk averse investor. 
I go slow. I don't try to get, I tell people all the time, like, I'm not trying to get rich in two years. I'm trying to get rich in 40. So I don't need to, um, I don't need, yeah, you like that one? I do like that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to, um, I don't need to take risks that other people are willing to take because they get starry eyed about, you know, some, some profit, some theoretical profit, right? Because we had just gone through 08, dude. And I had had my negative incident. Like no matter what you think the world is going to become with rosy eyed, you know, glasses, it can and will fall and you will be hurting. And so I was like, dude, I don't need to put myself in a position to lose again, especially so soon. So all that said, I think I ended up, when I refinanced, I lowered the rate and I dropped the PMI. So I actually kept my payment the same. And I took out whatever the difference was in the loan, which was about 19,000. So I still left the vast majority of the, the equity in the deal. Okay. And then what did you do after you bought that first house? I just lived in it. I was renting my, I had a condo, a little condo that I had bought in 2010, just as a primary. And it was basically breaking even as a rental. And it wouldn't be until 2016 that I would buy another place. I had saved up enough cash. I had like $71,000 in cash over the last five years. You know, if you save 500 bucks a month for five years now, you, and plus tax returns and, and that 20 grand, you, you get 70,000. So I had $71,000 in my bank account. It was like all the money in my name. And I went off and I bought a foreclosure and I think I put like 68 into it. I was all in. And so then that made me like 900, 950 a month. I ended up, Six months later, I did a burr. I ended up refinancing it, pulled 100% of my money back out because it had been worth. I created that 25% equity. And so then I was like, dude, not only now I know this works, like I knew, but now I can do it without even living in the houses. So I ended up over the next, until 2019, I would buy like six, six more. And what sort of income was that? Were those six houses kicking off or eight? Or they are a couple of hundred bucks a month, two, three hundred. It depends. You know, each. everybody in the internet lies. So when they say four hundred bucks a month, I know that that's like on their good month. But I also know that every couple of years you got to do paint and floors at five or six grand. That's a year's worth of that's a year's worth of income knocked out. So I think on tax returns, I'll probably clear two fifty, three hundred dollars a door. But I know that in the real world, um, it's it's not enough to get it's not enough to go get spendy. Right. So it's, I save all of it. I like the fact that you pointed out, like, I like your trajectory here, right? Because what people see when they look at you or, or me or like real estate investors in general, right? Is they see how many doors you have and they see like how long ago somebody started and they're like, oh my goodness, like, this is like, it's so easy. And, and they often seem to miss the fact that like both you and I have very similar trajectories where we bought a house and then it was two years before we bought the next property. And we both have, you know, decent sized portfolios now. But it's because there's like this, you know, exponential curve where, where what a lot of people don't do, it seems, it seems like people will buy a house and then they're like, Ooh, I'm making $200 a month in cash flow. Let me, now I can spend, you know, whatever it, no, you reinvested that money and kept saving to buy the next one. And then that timeline between houses just gets shorter as your capital grows and your cash flow, cash flow grows. And so it's, it, it really is like a buy one, <laughs> buy another one. And then eventually buy two and then it's, it's a scalable thing. It's not a, like an instant, Hey, I bought a house. Now I can keep just dumping into properties. So I, I think it's just important to annotate that because uh, sometimes people see, Oh, he's got eight doors in five years. And they're like, he must've just bought them all real quick. Well, sounds like the last six were bought in half the time as your, your first one. Yeah. And I was doing Burr with delayed finance. And I talked about that on episode 301 of the real estate bigger pockets podcast. Um, I did delayed finance and, um, 
and Burr. So I was doing three in a year and actually I didn't use any of my original capital. I was able to pull hundred percent of my funds back. So while I'm adding these properties, I'm not actually spending any liquidity. I'm just, the, the cash account is still increasing. So the, the thing that I think people have a problem with with rentals is they see the cash flow and they're like, oh, now I, can, now I can spend more money. But the reality is this is an equity play. This is a wealth play. And this is a retirement account kind of, this is, I treat it more like a retirement account. So, I mean, think about it, dude, at $200 a door, eight doors at 1600 bucks a month. That's not any real money. You can't live on that. Not really. And if you're wrong and that 200 goes to $100 a door, now you're living on eight grand a, a, a month, uh, a year. So the, this is, this is, this is a retirement play and having that retirement does allow you to think in a more, it does let you take more risks and think and uh, act out your life in a way that aligns itself more with the freedoms that you want to kind of um, have. But it's not that, certainly it's not a cash. I'm not, you know, I'm not making it rain every month. It's a couple hundred bucks. It almost all goes back into the business. You, you are definitely going to have stuff where it's like, hey, that tenant tore that place up. You need to, you need to um, paint floors. This happened, you know, stuff happens. You, you're going to have to, it's a, it's a capital intensive business in many ways. I'm really glad you brought this up. And David, I'm really glad you said that, what you said too, you know, because I'm in the bigger pockets forums, I'm in the Facebook groups, and I see this all the time. Hey, I bought my first house. When can I buy my second one? Well, first, hold on. Let's figure out if you like this. You don't want to jump in and have 57 doors and be like, wow, I really hate being a landlord. Figure out the first one. And Alex, you said everybody lies on the internet. I thought you couldn't say it on the internet if it wasn't true. So that's shocking to me that you would... Uh, burst my bubble like that. Uh, but you're right. There is a lot of inflating and, oh, I'm only making $200 a door. But when I ran the numbers, it was going to be $500 a door. Why is that? Well, most likely because you didn't run the numbers properly. You didn't account for vacancy. You didn't account for CapEx and you didn't account for the things that you need to account for. Not every property makes a good rental property. If you haven't yet listened to episode 301 of the Bigger Pockets Real Estate Podcast, Alex does do a really great deep dive into several of these uh, things that he's just been discussing, delayed financing. He actually has a really great take on delayed financing that was able to clear it up for a lot of people when they listen to Alex explain it. He also goes into the deep dive with the Burr and let me see if I can remember that. Buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat, where you buy a property, you rehab it so people want to live there, you rent it out to a tenant. Uh, many banks want to see a seasoning period of six to 12 months before of rental before they will refinance the property from the time that you purchased it. And let's see, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and then repeat means just do it all over again. Take the money out, take that whole money and or most of that money and put it at the next property and do it again. Is that good? Nailed it. Okay. Also, we got to figure out a way to say, suck it up, buttercup. At some point during this episode, David, because that was his catchphrase on that episode. But it was really good. It was really helpful. I got a lot of great feedback from that episode. So if yeah, that right. is something that you haven't listened to yet, you really should, especially if you're in, interested in investing in real estate itself. But yeah, like Alex said, not everybody is going to be super honest with their numbers. And here's the thing that I think a lot of people see is they start comparing themselves to other investors. Oh, Alex has eight properties. I only have two. That doesn't make you a bad person because you only have two. There's a lot of people who only have zero. It's Good what best. you are comfortable with. And what I would say to anybody who's considering investing in real estate is invest for you, not for Alex, not for David Perret, because those guys aren't going to pay your mortgage 
if your tenant doesn't. So what are you guys saying? Yes, you will pay the mortgage. Oh, no, I, I would <laughs> talk smack. But I was I will point out that the reason Alex was able to use delayed financing, which is a great strategy, and I have never been able to use delayed financing is because Alex did the save a ton of money while you're learning strategy much better than I did, right? I bootstrapped and like over leveraged and did things kind of the complicated way in the in the beginning with <clears throat> like seller financing and and low low down payment loans. Whereas Alex was able to, you know, he was a little bit not even a little bit, a lot more diligent about saving that capital so that he was able to pay cash for properties where I didn't have that kind of capital. And so that's, I mean, that was what allowed him to do the delayed financing, which is phenomenal. And yeah, you should definitely listen to that episode. It's good. I, I learned a lot about it from it and then had to pick his brain later and was like, yep, I don't have enough cash to do this. So sounds cool. Okay. So Dude, Alex. Li liquidity, liquidity creates a lot of freedom, a lot yeah. of opportunity, a lot of options. I love that. Okay. So you started buying properties. Did you have a job at that time? Yeah. So buying rental real estate is really a lot easier if you have a W-2. And I was a consistent W-2. So I was, I was working, selling cars, hated it. Um, I learned a lot selling cars, but it's a terrible career choice. So I went into banking and my idea was I had got my degree. I went into banking and my thought was, hey, look, I want to fix this money problem. I'll go learn about money. Remember? And so I'm like, who knows more about money than the bankers? Right? That actually is not correct. <laughs> That's not correct at all. There's a bunch of people probably listening to this podcast that are in retail banking and they're broke and they're trying to fix it. Uh, it's, it's a job like any other people who go into retail banking generally they do customer service, right? It's a little bit of sales. Um, it's a nice, comfy place. It's a refined, it's a mature industry. It's a great place to work, but it's not like everybody that works there is rich, right? A lot of them are living week to week like everybody else. But again, working at the bank really afforded me a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, insight because I got to see what people's bank accounts look like. And you know what hit me real hard was like, everybody else is broke just like me. That's why it feels so okay. And I'm serious. That's why the American culture, that's why people are broke and they're looking at everybody else and they're like, well, I only make 30 grand a year, but I, but that my, and my, my coworker only makes 30 grand a year, but he drives a BMW. So I could probably afford a BMW, right? It makes it all seem okay. And it turns out it's the blind leading the blind. Um, so that really helped me really open my eyes to be like, oh, okay. Um, I have to, you know, attaining financial freedom I don't consider myself an entrepreneur, even though I've done okay in real estate. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur at all. Um, I just really enjoy my freedom. I'll tell you what, it's a lonely-ish road because you really have to go against the social grain to do it. You really do. And so it probably means, you know, all the, uh, a lot of the people in my social circle that were not willing to make the sacrifices that I was willing to make, I now couldn't, you know, go hang out with them as much. I couldn't do things with them because I was like, dude, I have to, I have to solve this. I have to solve this big problem rather than um, just indulging into the week, the weekly, um, you know, pleasure. It's, it's that piece that happens when they haven't had the mindset shift of things happen to me instead of I take action. And then right. you go to hang out and you're like, you, you want to play Mr. Fix it. It's like what happens with me and my wife where I try to play Mr. Fix it. And that's not what they want. <laughs> Yeah. So a part, part, some people will, you can take on the journey and some people, and this is a tough part. Some people you have to abandon because they're not going to come with you and they're going to slow you down. So I had a job. I went to, uh, I'm working at the bank. I'm learning a lot about, um, I'm learning a lot about how people treat money. I'm learning a lot about, um, 
I'm learning a lot about a real estate and that, that helped me get these, these, um, these loans, but I was only making like I don't know, 45 grand a year or something. It wasn't a lot of money, but you don't need, that, that's the thing. You don't need a lot of money. I know plenty of people. I know people that make $350,000 a year and are flat broke and they are stressed and they lose sleep and they look like hell because they can't, their, their lives have been misery for a decade while making half a million or $350,000 a year. And it's like, you're, that's, you, you can play that game if you want to, but if you make $45,000 a year, well, I was single. So that that's a disclaimer. I'm single, no kids. So if you're single, if you're single and you're, or if you have no kids and you're making $45,000 a year, you can get, you can build immense wealth. You don't need to make more than that. So I, that's it. It's just a time gain after that. I love that. So yeah. And I, you know, think about it when you make $45,000 a year, you're thinking to yourself, wow, I'm not that rich. Uh, when Carl and I first started dating, I happened to see a paycheck stub on his kitchen table. And I was like, he makes $40,000 a year. Wow. I didn't know he was so rich because well, I was not making that much. And that's not why I dated him, Alex. I know you're going to say something snarky. But when you're making $350,000 a year, you're thinking to yourself, I'm rich. I'm making a ton of money. I should have rich people have their stuff all figured out, right? Like, you know what you're doing when you make $350,000 a year. So for you to be broke, I would think it would be even more stressful because you're like, well, I've got money. So why isn't it working for me? Why can't I figure this out? At the same time, when you make $350,000 a year, you're like, I don't need the budget. I make a lot of money. I don't need to look where my money's going. I make a lot of money. I've actually been in that position, not the $350,000 part, but the I'm making a lot of money. I don't have to budget. And guess what? All of a sudden, your spending creeps up. I talk about money all day, every day. And my spending was creeping up because it's so easy to be like, eh, it's okay to spend this extra little bit. It's no big deal. And it can be a big deal. And you need to, you know, if you want your money to go in a certain place, but you're not consciously thinking of where your money's going to go, it's going to be really difficult to get it to go there. Money is about mindset and control, not about it, not about volume. It really isn't. And so you can have $350,000 a year, but if you don't track your net worth diligently and know where all your funds are going, pay yourself first, then, and then invest in a, in, in some fashion, right? I'm a very risk averse investor. I, I mostly do ETFs for, uh, in stock market. I mostly do ETFs and I probably own more gold than, um, than a lot of people who are listening do it. I'm very risk averse and it, but it doesn't matter because it works over time. Right. And it, it causes my, the byproduct of this is excess freedom, not excess stress. Oh. Right. So, so it really is about control, which is understanding and having a plan and having a really good um, insight into where you're at, and then um, mindset, which, you know, those are the two, really. I mean, money, it doesn't matter what you make. It matters what you do with it. Throw out real quickly, though, that there's probably someone who's listening to this and, like, started to tune out the moment you said 45000 was enough, and their thought is, I live in Seattle, or I live in San Diego, or I live in New York, or I live in Hawaii, or I live in, right? So I, I get those comments or hear that hear that excuse all the time, and I'm just going to challenge it and say, like, you, you can move. Um, I, I think – so Alex didn't live in the most expensive market in the country, but he definitely didn't live in the most affordable market in the country either, right? He was kind of in the in the middle ground. And so I, I, I just want to throw that out because somebody somebody's probably going to say, oh, 45000 Well, hey, look, 
nobody said that it was you could live like exactly what you wanted to live in life while you were going through this journey. If if your cost of living is more expensive, then you yeah, you're either going to need to make a little bit more money or you're going to have to move or look at some other options. So uh, just you can absolutely do it on forty five thousand dollars a year. It just depends on how you choose to live your life. Yeah. So uh, I get I do get that. A ton. Yeah. I lived in a little town in North Carolina. It's not expensive to live here. Guess what? I hate it here. I'm actually I'm actually back here again. Uh, I've moved twice since I hate it here. But that's the sacrifice that I make to create stability and uh, and a foundational future. And so people that live in San Diego, they're like, well, I can't do that because I don't make that much money. I'm like, yeah, but the weather's great. That's what you're spending all your money on. You're spending all your money on living in a place where that's the trade you make. And so people in this, they always want to tell you what they can't do, but they never want to tell you what they're willing to sacrifice to get what they actually want. So I tell people, don't tell me what you're willing to do to get ahead. Tell me what you're not willing to do. And then we can move around that list because if that list is long, if all the things you're unwilling to do to get ahead, if that list is long, then I might, maybe I can't help you. Maybe you can't help yourself. So maybe sometimes you're in a high cost living area and you can't move or you're unwilling to move. But again, it's the same thing with, um, there's like, there's no cap on income. Like you can go off and make more money too. I'm just talking about, I'm talking about how to make it by, through a method of sacrifice, not we haven't talked about ambition. What if you actually try to make more money and try to invest aggressively and try to be an entrepreneur? Like those things all have no cap. So the, the, um, I don't, the naysayers, like I got you, but also, um, I, I understand that there are, um, expensive places to live and that not everybody, um, you know, people have a wild variety of life experiences and they, they come into this you come into the world where you kind of where you, you, you figured out wherever you're at at the time, you don't really get to choose. You just like, oh, this is where I started. And it's different for everybody. And it's 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 brutally unfair. Also, as I said from the beginning, the two things that will get you no matter what your situation are, the, the only two things you can control are responsibility and sacrifice. I love that. So complaining, yeah, I, I hear you, but I was about to say it. <laughs> I was going to sneak it in right there. <laughs> We know you've heard it before. Cash flow is getting very hard to find. There's always long distance investing, but you may be thinking, I don't have a team, enough experience, or the market knowledge to get in. That's where you're wrong. And it's also where Rent to Retirement comes in. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest out of state with confidence. They've got single family, multifamily, new build, and syndication opportunities across multiple markets. They even have bird deals with immediate equity. Rent to Retirement helps investors learn how to build a bulletproof business plan with the best investment and tax strategies around to help you reach financial freedom through real estate. There's no excuse not to get started in real estate investing when you have the right team and systems already in place. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, 
we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my nine-to-five job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split with 70% of profits going to the investors. You'll earn passive income by participating in lending to house flippers. And it's secure because senior lien holders, that's you, get paid first. Their rigorous underwriting process and the backing of the physical asset provide additional security in case of borrower default. Plus, by investing with Pine Financial Group, you contribute to the revitalization of communities by redirecting your funds from Wall Street to Main Street, supporting local economies, and generating profits simultaneously. This investment is reserved for accredited investors, but if you are not accredited, Pine Financial has options for you too. Don't miss this opportunity to back Main Street over Wall Street and start earning passive real estate income. Learn more about investing with Pine at pinefinancialgroup.com BP. That's pinefinancialgroup.com BP. Okay, so let's get back to your story. You lived in which Carolina? North Carolina? I'm not from the Carolinas, so they're always confusing and I never get them right. North Kekalaki. North. Okay, so you lived in North Carolina and then you decided, I don't want to live here anymore. Um, I moved around a bunch. So I lived in Arizona for a while. I moved back to North Carolina, hated it. But um, I had, a, I've been, I was stationed here. So I have a good social I have a basis social um, so structure here. That helps. Then in 2017, I moved back to, I moved to Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas so much. I moved to Las Vegas and I, I bought all my properties long distance. And then in 2019, I had personal stuff going on. I was like, this is not going to work out. I need to move back to North Carolina temporarily was the plan. And so in 2000 and late, late, late 2019, I moved back to here. And now I'm hoping that in February, 
I will live in Charlotte, which is a much nicer city, much bigger city. And still close to where your real estate is, right? Yeah, I gave myself golden handcuffs, right? I mean, everybody that thinks that they're going to buy properties across the country and then just hire one property manager and then they're going to run it for 30 years without a hiccup and it'll be fine and you can just set it and forget it. You are out of your mind. They are somewhat passive. If you get somebody really good, they will take the vast majority of your burden away from you. But you, it, it is very valuable to be nearby or within a day's driving distance or something like that. Or you can afford to fly a lot. I mean, I don't have to go to my properties a lot, but um, to be fair, there are some that I've never seen, but I have an ex- like a, a, a very an exceedingly good property manager, but I don't want to go somewhere where then I can't get here because things change. The world will change. The people that you rely on will change. The world's going to change. You have to be prepared for um, a different paradigm, not just, it's not always going to go the way it is now. Yeah, I have a exceedingly talented property manager as well. And I've had to come to terms real lately with the fact that like, she might be retiring in the next few years. And so she's amazing. And she has a team, whether or not they're amazing when she leaves, you know, who knows? I think that's one of the hardest things about the long distance investing. Yeah, you can live in Seattle and you can live in San Francisco and New York and invest in North Carolina or Indianapolis or Kansas City. But if your property manager isn't good, you're going to have just a lot of mental space being consumed by the hassles of the real estate. The hassles, they're really hassles when you are just trying to get your tenants to pay their rent and there's a problem and your property management company isn't taking care of it or your property management company is being proactive and spending way more money than they should or you know just not even answering tenant calls or if if they don't know how to screen tenants they're not worth anything uh oh i put this person in place they said that they you know they'll have the security deposit next week no they won't you should never, there's a lot of things that you shouldn't do. And for more information about that, go to biggerpockets.com because we'll teach you everything about real estate investing. But I, I'm not selling single family, long distance real estate right now by any means. I got into real estate single family because we were going through a foreclosure boom from 2012 to 2017. And that's about when it dried up, to be honest. And then since 2017, basically, as far as I can tell, the vast majority of people are paying retail prices with the hopes that the market's going to continue to go up. And I do not participate in that behavior, I only buy things that are undervalued. And uh, currently for me, that looks like larger asset classes. Um, but I'm not sitting here trying to tell you real estate's the way to go. What I'm telling you is be dynamic because the market changes. And so you need to go where the opportunity is. The world's going to fluctuate and change. I think that's a great point. Okay, so let's get back to your story. You were in North Carolina and then you moved to Las Vegas and then you moved back to North Carolina and now you're moving to Charlotte. What are you doing for money? Um... Not, I don't know. I'm winging it. Uh, okay, so great, super helpful. So, so <laughs> I, I, I had a little bit of money in in January of 2020. I said, okay, I have a, a really good infrastructure of people here in North Carolina, and I wanted to take the time to see if um, maybe I could get good at videography. That's been a passion, a building passion of mine for a while. So I said, maybe I can practice doing some video content. I can basically, I had, I had the opportunity to say. I'm going to live on my terms. I'm not going to get a job. I'll take a year and like dabble and, and just live, right? What the heck is the point of reaching all this financial freedom if I can't spend a, spend a little of it? And so I said, I'm going to try this videography thing, right? I'm not a hyper entrepreneur guy who's got to make money at all costs. I want to enjoy my life. 
Uh, and, and that does mean chasing, always chasing difficult challenges, but not always business challenges. Okay. So I said, I'm going to do um, some videography and what am I going to film? Well, I have this real estate infrastructure here. So I'll flip some houses. Turns out it's, I don't much care for it and I'm not that good at it and it's hard, but it pays well. So one of the blessings that I've had is that I've always had jobs that pay me like 50, you know, bank jobs pay 50, 60 grand a year. So I only have to make an, I only have to flip like two houses a year to make my same income, which uh, is, is actually kind of easy given my history. So last year I flipped two houses and I'm, I don't know, I made like 80 or 90 grand. Uh, I also bought a multifamily. I bought a big uh, 30, no, I bought a 52 unit multifamily. That was my second one. Um, and so those come with, you know, paychecks. And then this year I flipped two houses and I think I made like another 20 grand with my camera, which is pretty fun. Okay. So you're generating income in different ways. So what do you do with your days? What are you doing all day long? Uh, uh, late. Well, last, I went six trips the last six weeks. Travel. I'm going to Belize next week. Oh, nice. I do. What am I? I, I, I don't understand. What's the point of the show? Isn't the point of the show to get people to get their money right so they can live on their terms? Yes, but you haven't shared with us what your day-to-day looks like. It looks different every day. I do whatever I feel like doing. This morning, okay, this morning I sat and I edited photos because my good friend Jeremy, I flew down to Pensacola and I did some promo videos for his fabulous real estate investment uh, syndicating company, Climb Capital, and so just broke some promo videos for him. And then I'm going to go and do some editing for, I shot uh, Flip Hacking Live, a company that, uh, a, an event that Bill Allen puts on for flippers. I, sh- I did photographs of that event, so I'm going to finish editing and deliver those photos today. Um, and then I'm gonna start packing because I'm going to Belize in a week. I got some meetings. I mean, I'm gonna go check on one of my flips because I still, I don't want to do any work, <laughs> right? That's, remember we talked about the rule one. I don't want to do any actual work. So I got to go check on the flip and get the rest of the contractors out there to turn that baby and get it on the market. I love it. What else? I love that your days are, and you enjoy all of this, right? The whole not working thing, the whole taking pictures all the time, traveling all the time. You know, it's so, it's so funny. Like I spend an immense amount of time uh, if you saw me at BPCon, you probably saw me as working my tail off. I was lugging two cameras around, two big cameras. I was shooting every room. I was shooting the whole thing. I delivered, I think, five, 600 photos edited. I took 9,000, right? Oh, my. It wasn't over a, three days. Yeah. Scott kept, uh, Scott kept seeing me. He's like, dude, I see you everywhere. You're working, your, you're working your booty off. And I'm like, actually, I haven't worked a day. I haven't worked a lick. I haven't worked for a second. <laughs> and so I really think that... Um, one of the traps that I, one of the, the quagmires that I got myself into when I started getting good at real estate, I was like, I'm going to lean into this thing. I'm going to make a little real estate business. And then I, because that's what all my peer group was doing, right? If you want to be successful at something, just make your social circle all of that thing and you will become it. So all my social circle is real estate people. So then I, I started doing this real estate thing and, and I got consumed by it. And then I was like, I don't actually find this to be enjoyable. It just makes money. And I can, and, and I can, I can find my opportunities, but I really enjoy cameras. So it's not work for me to spend an entire day shooting, lugging around cameras, you know, the stress of trying to get interesting shots. And then my favorite part is delivering photos to people that they love. And they're like, wow, I now, I posted a picture from VPCon of my, my good friend Shelby meeting Hal Elrod. And, um, you know, for Hal, he's just Hal. But for Shelby, like he changed her life. And so now I have that magic moment I have it. If she remembers it, but I have it forever. Right. And I have it and I can give it to her and I can post it on the internet and I can share it with her. And like that right there, that's worth, that's a feeling that no amount of, how do I say it? 
I couldn't have delved so hard into photography if I hadn't created enough freedom through real estate or through financial education. So it, it's now bring me a different portion of my life where I get, um, how do I say, like I I'm rewarded for a very different type of action. It's not financial. It's like, it's not a value. It's meaningful. So Alex mentioned earlier in the show that he's not an entrepreneur, right? He's not big into the entrepreneurship thing. And I think the reason for that is that this, what Alex did was he created this skill for himself and I will toot his horn, horn too, that he's amazing at photography and videography. Uh, just phenomenal, right? If you look at my headshots online, uh, they're mostly Alex. <laughs> so, and, and increasingly becoming a higher percentage of Alex. Um, so he's phenomenal. And it's the skill set that's a passion for him that he loves, which is why he's so good at it because he spent all the time and effort into it, right? But he wouldn't consider himself an entrepreneur with that because he doesn't have to – in my – what I see, what I think is because he doesn't have – he's not forced into creating some crazy business that he takes time and effort. He's just able to – he has the freedom to say yes whenever he wants to use this skill and it does make – I mean it's a high-paying skill set. He makes good money doing it. I would be willing to bet that he'd be able to make more money this year filming than he would – than he did his last year as a banker. But he only has to do it however much he wants. And so he's built himself this spot where it's like, yep, I'll do that and you can pay me because I'm really good at it and I'll make it worth your time. But I don't have to do that. So it'll never become a job for him. It'll always just be a passion project, which means he'll be that much better at it. So, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool to see. But I think you're right. You would have never done it had you not had the time to devote to it. One of the things that I learned really on early on about um... – one of, the, one of the best pieces of advice, and I think I said this on the other podcast, I say it to people all the time, one of the best pieces of advice that I got in life, and I don't even remember where it came from, was um, to be at peace in life, you need these three hobbies. One hobby that makes you money, one hobby that keeps you healthy, and one hobby that keeps you creative. And I literally just designed my entire life around that, those three aspects, and life, and I am at peace. And I don't take jobs. It's so funny about photography. I don't take jobs unless I would do them for free. And so, in fact, when I sat down with Mindy... And Alexandra in Denver in 2020. And she's like, I want you to be the photographer for the event. And I'm like, no, you can't afford me. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out they can't afford me, but I would have done it. I would have done it without, I would have done it anyways. And if they, and if it was a job that I didn't want to do, then there's no price that you can afford. That's going to buy my freedom. And so I say all that to say like the people who, you know, are either buying real estate or they're buying equities and if you're trying to look at passive ways to invest or you, or you look at pa in, investing as a, as a passive retirement account builder or wealth builder, then you need something to do so that you don't fiddle with the money. You need something or spend the money. What happens is I see a lot of people that um, they, they actually in real life, what they really want to do is they don't want to make money. They want to spend it. And that's a problem because when you start investing and making a little bit of money, and especially right now where this, this portion of the market cycle and everybody's kind of winning easily. It's easy to um, get lifestyle inflation, like you alluded to earlier, Mindy, or, um, or get spendy. And you need something, in my opinion, you need a hobby that is not a moneymaker, uh, specifically a moneymaker, and is not expensive, that you can really invest yourself into, like something creative, so that you can, you can get a meaningful reward out of it without having to affect your retirement building or the stress that comes along with building a business. And so that photography allowed me to like, for five years, I just did it for funsies, never took any money. I just, I just love it. And then now, uh, because I, like David said, because I think I had that paradigm with it, 
now people are like, Hey, I want you to come shoot this. And, um, I, I only say yes, if I actually feel like it. And I, I'm probably, I super undervalue my, from an economic standpoint, I, I super undervalue my, my talents, but I don't care. Well, you should care. You should provide value. You should value yourself at market rate, but I hear what you're saying. I, we, so I've seen a lot of uh, photographers who aren't as good and the passion, like when you show off photography, you took what, what did you say? 9,000 pictures at BPCon. I of course did not see you there because I was homesick, but you took 9,000 pictures. Not all 9,000 pictures are good. You go through and you pull the ones that you love. And it's not, I'm not being mean. I'm being like, no, like, of course. like serious. I've seen photographers where they take a thousand pictures at the three-day event. And here you go, all thousand pictures. And you're like, wow, seven are great. And then the rest of them are mediocre or terrible. And you have, because you're so in love with photography, because you're so proud of the job that you're doing, you take 9,000 photos and give us, what did you give us? 500 photos, did you say? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, but there are 500 really fabulous photos because you went through all 9,000 and you're like, no, 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 yes, no, 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 yes. Because it's the passion that comes through and that makes people want to hire you as well. They can't afford me. They can't afford you. Yes. If you need Alex's contact information, contact me. It's $10,000 an hour. And then Alex, I'll pay you $1,000 an hour. Works out great. Life and lens media. That's a, <laughs> hey, this isn't a self-promotion show. Well, you, you, I was, you guys are talking about my, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> We're not here just to promote you. Uh, but no, I really like your story. I love that, that like the thing that you said right at the beginning, I thought I was awesome. So everything would just work out and it didn't. And that's like, such a powerful thing to share because I know a lot of people are in that same position. Wow. Why isn't everything working out? Well, you have to put effort into it and here Alex has put effort into it and he's finally a good person. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, thank goodness. So I want to throw this, throw this out there though, real quick. Uh, Alex said for 31 years, he was terrible with finances, right? Now I'm not going to date Alex, but I will say that if you were to know and do the math, it's in less than a decade, Alex has changed from, well, I screwed that up to literally like I only have to work if I want to and I'm not going to work on something that I don't believe in, which is a pretty powerful spot to be in life. And obviously, Alex isn't rolling around in like $2 million Bugattis saying like, woohoo, buy my course. <laughs> but uh, but what he's done is he's created a spot where he can do exactly he, – he can work on what he wants, when he wants, how he wants and never have to work on anything that he doesn't. In less than a decade. So if you put that in perspective, and he did it through simple things, a little bit of sacrifice. He didn't do the crazy leverage, get rich quick. He did the boring, tried and true, save some money, make a good investment, use your capital wisely, don't buy crap you don't need. Like the typical fire, you know, method of sa- of of investing. Only he chose real estate over index funds, and he was smart and frugal and did all the right things. And in a matter of a couple of years, I mean, if you count when you left your job, I mean, I'd say like a half a decade, uh, completely changed, like turn that around. I mean, it's amazing. So if you put that in perspective, right, if you're 
22, 23, 25. I mean, early, early retirement is, is totally doable. If you just play your cards, right. Sacrifice a little up front and, and enjoy the long-term game. It's so easy. Or not even early retirement. I saw somebody today posting in the Facebook groups. Oh, I don't know that I'm doing all that well. Here's what I've got. And don't compare yourself. I love this quote so much. Don't compare your beginning to Alex's end or David's middle or my end. Compare your beginning to where you were last week. You're doing better just because you're thinking about it. But something that we have seen over and over in these shows, these money stories that release on Mondays, is that about 10 years, you can go from nothing to financially free or real close to it just by being cognizant of where your money's going, saving aggressively, not even saving aggressively, saving at all. We we uh, frequently say there are four levers to pull when you are working towards financial independence. Spend less than you earn. As soon as Alex stopped spending more than he earned, he was able to save, uh, earn more income. That's not really something that Alex apparently has ever pulled that lever, but that's okay. Um, start a business. Alex, you don't think you're an entrepreneur, but if you are investing in real estate, real estate is a business. You are a real estate entrepreneur. You have a photography business, whether you like it or not, that is an entrepreneurial endeavor. So you are an entrepreneur and also invest intelligently. So you're investing in cash flowing assets or equity plays. You are forcing appreciation. You are investing in low cost markets where you are getting more than 1%, right? On your rent. Oh yeah. Okay. So, and you're investing in ETFs. You're investing in the stock market, probably investing a lot in hair products, but you're investing intelligently in. Yeah. yeah the hawk is looking good right now. Just, yeah. Yeah. Know. Well, okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Alex man. is very proud of his hair. Um, but you're making all of these intelligent decisions and you went from financial disaster to financial master in 10-ish years. That's that the reason that we share these stories is so people see you can turn it around. Your finances and your financial mistakes don't have to define you. Yes, they happened. Acknowledge it and move on. Accept the fact that you need to change your finances and then make steps to change your finances. And you're kind of the epitome of financial disaster to financial hero. Any idiot can achieve financial freedom in a few years if they pay attention. I'm proof. <laughs> I'll say any person, not any idiot. We like to be wow. nice and uplifting on this show, Alex. Any person. Okay. The irony is that you labeled my BP money at podcast the guy who did everything wrong and still figured it out so the so between alex and i i think it's an american simple steps you got this i think uh financial irresponsibly irresponsibility is deeply deeply ingrained into american culture so the fact that you and i have the same story is actually it's probably that the vast majority of people who turn their financial situation around i mean it's almost it's everybody it's not you and me. It's everybody. The only difference yeah. is most people never. Uh, it's a humbling. It's a humbling endeavor to say, "I'm messing this up. I'm doing it because uh, I'm too, you know, weak-willed to stop buying stuff or stop spending money on um, frivolous pleasantries." And 
um, do the hard but responsible thing for my future. It's not, it's just easier to be, um, to be entitled. And, uh, you know, we, we live in a, a, a culture that the highest value is consumerism and they, they have spent decades really understanding how to ping people's dopamine and really get them to, to feed into this, this consumerist addiction. So it's not, um, it's very common and it's not super easy mentally to break out, but on a spreadsheet, like how to make wealth, it's incredibly mundane, easy. It is so easy. It's just getting your, it's the mindset. It's mindset and control. If you're sitting at home right now thinking, man, I can't do this, or this isn't me or, or whatever that, that reason is that you can't do this. And you're listening to this on a brand new iPhone 13. Well, uh, he's talking to you. <laughs> uh, a lot of it is just uh, a lot of it. I'll, I'll, I'll add some other insight. A lot of it is who you spend time with. If you spend time around like broke people can't teach you how to make money. It's not that they don't want to. They don't know how. You know, my parents actually um, did a better job. I messed up good advice. Right. They used to tell me, like, dude, brief. My, my parents are conservative. Right. Yep. Like, uh, I don't mean politically. I mean, like, you know, in behavior, like they don't um, they don't. um they don't spend frivolously. They buy old cars. They don't have debt, right? They're like, look, Alex, just save money. Um, invest, you know, they didn't teach you how to invest. They're like, just save it. Just save money don't, and spend less than you earn and don't buy stuff you can't afford or, and you don't buy in debt. And then I went to the army and I got my, you know, the American, the, the entitlement machine got in my brain. I was like, what do my parents know? Knuckleheads, they don't know anything. I'm so smart. Debt bought a you know bought a honda civic on 18 percent, like every freaking entitled uh, 18%. like every enlisted troop that has ever you know come to fort bragg i'm just yeah. saying i mean these oh, are mistakes that's a that, very common story yeah these are mistakes that i've made i'm okay with them i'm at peace with them and so when you say oh i can't do alex this is done i'm like dude i bet you i've done things that are dumber than a lot of people you know, I bet you I'm above average on dumb in my previous life. <laughs> so, is, that, is that how that works? Is that above average or what that people about, I'm all average. about the extremes, right? <laughs> okay, so, I'm really glad you said that, Alex. It It is all about the people that you surround yourself with. And if you are in a group of friends where everybody has a brand new car, you start to think about, well, why don't I have a brand new car? Maybe I should go out and get a brand new car. And everybody has the latest iPhone. Oh, I'm stuck on this garbage iPhone 4 or whatever. Maybe I should go and get the latest iPhone. You st- Like your friends, if you if they all have iPhone, what is it, 13? If they all have yeah. iPhone 13s and you've got your little bitty one, they're going to be making fun of you. And so what? Who cares? But it's so easy to fall into that American consumerist trap where spending more money than you make is totally the norm. You just put it on a credit card and make the minimum payment and eventually you'll pay it off. No, eventually you will not pay it off because you'll just keep adding to it. So if you find yourself sucked into these friendships, sucked in isn't the right word, but like getting sucked into purchases because all your friends are making these same purchases, maybe you should start spending time with different people. There's, I live in Longmont, Colorado. It's kind of this phi bubble. And I have to keep reminding myself over and over again, not everybody has the same support system that I have. And there are people out there who want to help you, want to encourage you, and they don't even know you, but they know the power of having your finances in order will, what that can get you in your life. So they want to encourage you. A great place to start 
is the Bigger Pockets Facebook groups, Bigger Pockets Money, Facebook.com slash group slash BP Money. We're all sitting around talking about money and questions about finances. And it's a very welcoming group. It's my group. If somebody gives you a snotty answer, tag me or report it and I will kick them out because I make this group a place to ask questions, a safe place to have a conversation. You guys are both laughing at me, but you know what? I just kicked out some people the other day for being awful. I'm laughing because I feel that pain. I've known Mindy for a long time and everybody, you know, you guys think she's real nice, but I'll tell you what, underneath (laughs) she's a tyrant. She is a iron fisted tyrant deep down inside. (laughs) This is why we hit it. We just hit the nail on the head for why high income earners struggle so much. It's because people like lawyers or doctors or in these in these professions, they get their social circle is the exact same thing. And so they get they feel like they get sucked into, you know, hosting a party. So they have to have a nice house or or driving a nice car because doctors don't drive, you know, a Geo Metro or 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 whatever. Um, if you've ever played the cash flow board game, right, the, if you if you ever mess around with that game, the hardest characters to get out of the rat race with are the ones who make the most money because they have the most liability, debt, whatever. And the debt and expenses is harder to overcome than the income. It's easier to make more money than it is to slash – like yeah, I hate to say this because somebody's going to be upset. But if you have three kids by the time you're like 12 or 17 or 18 or whatever, right, like – whether you whether you plan whether you plan the age right so like Alex mentioned it earlier he didn't have kids he was single so forty five thousand dollars like that would have been a lot harder if you had kids like I didn't have kids when I was young which made things easier for me and it, it, not to say that having kids is bad by any means but like you know planning those decisions out or you know or or having expensive cars or going into bankruptcy or houses you can't get out from under, like any of those recurring expenses can set you back a lot farther than not having a massive income will set you forward. Well, David, I, you are walking quite the tightrope there, by the way. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Also, <laughs> uh, but but the, 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 the problem of culture and the problem of social circles is deeply, deeply and, and subtly ingrained in, into our, uh, the American way of life. So Finding people that really do align with what you are, what you want your life to be like and having a little bit of rebellion to say, look, there's probably I'm probably not going to agree with the vast majority of people and how they live. And I have to go and go against the grain. It's a it's a, a it's definitely something you can do. And the Internet makes it the Internet make helps tremendously uh, with the Internet's a double sided sword because you're going to go on Instagram and you're going to see people flexing all sorts of nonsense all the time. And they lie. Ooh, let me tell you something. Instagram, you're a liar. People's <laughs> lives are, you know, they, they only show you the highlights. And then uh, in real estate, it's always closing deals. And uh, the 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 uh, the funnel into FOMO is very strong. You don't want you want to avoid all that stuff. And you want to find people that share um, the same values as you. And generally, like money is not a value system. In fact, it's a, if money is a value system, it leads to consumerism. Money is a tool, a resource, and it should funnel. It should fund your freedom. It should not be a um, like a mechanism for to buy your, you know, every gratifying pleasure that you can think of. So, you know, there are there are most things in the world that you can are really cheap. Most really amazing things in the planet have been going on for, you know, twelve thousand years. And they, you don't need to go. It wasn't. It's not in Las Vegas, and it's it, it's not a tourist attraction. It's like, dude, you can travel cheap and free to most places in the world. Relationships are going to be worth a lot more than, and you can't and you can't buy them. Um, you know, I I find a lot of pleasure in books. Books are like 
the thing that gives me the most value in the world and they're dirt cheap, which I think is astounding actually, because they're the highest return on investment. But point is um, money, the, my relationship with money is one where uh, it, it works for me. I don't use like, it's not something like, Hey, I want all these things in the world and I need to make money to go get them. It's more like all the things that I want in the world are actually pretty cheap. I'm just trying to find a way to do it um, responsibly in amount of time. I can't, just pick up all my life and go travel permanently. Um, yes. I could afford to, but I, I have things that I have social responsibilities and people that I want to help and take care of and do things and houses. And, uh, but who you hang out with and the values that you set up are, are going to dictate, are going to absolve you from a lot of the mistakes that you make with money. If you don't have values in a good social circle, then you're going to result to blatant consumerism. He says social responsibilities, like people want him around. <laughs> they don't like me around, but it's always something exciting happening when I'm around. <laughs> Boy, that is true. It is always a party with Alex around. Oh, man. Okay, Alex, this has been a lot of fun, and I really am glad that you were able to share your story with our listeners because I know that you're not special. There are lots of people who are listening to this show who are like, yep, that's me, that's me, that's me. And your story isn't unique, which is why it makes it so important to share. Uh, but we're not done with you yet. We still have our famous four questions, which we ask of all of our guests. Alex, are you ready? Probably not. Okay, great. That'll be awesome. That'll be just like the rest of the show. <laughs> okay, Alex, what is your favorite finance book? Um, Didn't he just say he reads books all the time and it's the best investment in the world? I, got, I, got, honestly, yeah, I read, I read, I did read, I read dead Nietzsche. Russian philosophy yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, he, was, he was german but yeah pretty much yeah um i read rich dad poor dad when i was in, in 2005 it didn't stick right it didn't i didn't do anything with it for another six years but it implanted something in my head that uh, i didn't realize how important it would be like it planted a seed and so when i started wanting to get my money right i had that one little basis which was you want passive income not active income and that really set me off foundationally. Ooh, I no, scratch all that. Scratch all that. Scratch no, all we're that. gonna keep it in. Continue. The richest man in Babylon. Oh, I love yeah, that I love book. That Those yeah. two books. I look back now because I'm much smarter now after six years of books. But I look back now, I'm like, that's a rudimentary book. But that book actually, because it's so rudimentary, is what hit me so hard. It said things that um they now seem obvious, but you know, sometimes when you understand something, it's just knowledge. But when you when you can combine it with experience, it becomes um, like wisdom. And they say things like spend less than you earn, which is very it was like it hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, oh, who would have thought of that? You know, always pay yourself first. These are very simple, simple. Do not invest in things that you don't know or would get you outsized returns. I don't know what happened. I don't know what's going to happen to Bitcoin, but I know people are really excited about it. And I don't know enough about it. And so I just, you know what? I'm going to take a big pass on, uh, on the bulk of Bitcoin. Same. I just, I just don't know it. And I don't have to know it in order to, uh, and, and I know that. So those rules in Richest Man of Babylon, like, dude, I read a lot of books, but I don't read a lot of finance or business books. Um, the rules for finance are really simple. You don't need to spend a lifetime learning them. You just need to spend a lifetime employing them. Like Richest that. Man in Babylon is my favorite book I, because I know it, it was written a hundred years ago. Well, and it still holds true. It's like money isn't 
I was going to say, which for Alex means that's almost a new book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. But it was written a hundred years ago. It still holds true. Spend less than you earn. Don't invest in things you don't understand. Don't invest with people who don't know what they're doing. Uh, take the money that you're, the difference between your what you're spending and what you're earning and invest it wisely. And it's so good. And it's so true to this day. I love that. And, it, rep- and it represents people's um, continuous failure in the money um, mi- mindset problem, which is they go to Arcad, right? And they're like, hey, you make what I make, and but we're always broke and you're building wealth. What's the problem? And that's really... The problem of most, um, I don't want to say most humans, but most Americans, right? Where they're like, I'm making enough money in theory, but I don't have enough. What the heck's the problem? Um, sad to say, but you're the problem. Yep. <laughs> I, most likely. I just reread that book like three months ago. Love if it. you make $31,000 a year, you are in the top 1% global richest earners. You ain't right. got money problems, bro. You got entitlement problems. <laughs> On that note, Alex, what was your biggest money mistake? Um, I didn't know, I didn't, I don't know how to word it. I guess apathy. I didn't do anything with money. I didn't know that I didn't believe in my, my abilities enough or how do I say it? I didn't believe that I could do anything with money until I made more. And so I did nothing with money. And then it actually caused me to make less. Once I figured out money, like I haven't made that many mistakes. Everything I, everything I, everything I make returns a healthy profit. Okay. I like that. I like that answer a lot. Apathy. Apathy. That's not something that we have uh, had anybody actually say on the show, but that is like, again, like I said before, you're not special. That is something that has happened with a lot of people. You just got to keep telling him he's not special. It's not ever going to sink in though. I believe it deeply. (laughs) You hear my feelings. I mean, it's even, I'm the only one with this shirt though. What's up? <laughs> See, Alex has the only pink Bigger Pockets podcast, Bigger Pockets t-shirt uh, in the world. You're so great, Alex. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? I have so much good advice. Um, <laughs> there's the Alex we know and love. <laughs> um. Take radical responsibility and make any sacrifice that you need to attain the highest good. I like it. I like that too. Not much else to add. All right. Well, then I'm going to move on to the really hard question. Um, Alex, what's your favorite joke to tell at parties? Ugh, I don't tell jokes. I'm not a jokester. You are the joke. <laughs> uh, Ooh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> okay. I've got one. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. A, I'm not. A, I don't. I don't. I used to make fun of people. If I had somebody there, like. Look at David's mustache. We don't need jokes. I'm. I can't stop laughing he's just looking at him. Too. The beard yeah, is coming in. I had to. I had to have a. Uh, me and the. Me and the boys had to have a. A. Uh, yeah. See, he's embarrassed. We had to have a. An intervention about that mustache at at Foot Packing Live. We're like, dude, you're out of the military. It's time to shave it. There's no more excuses. We got to. We got to grow the beard out and shave the stuff. This isn't about it David. This it definitely didn't David. start because I said I was growing a beard. Now that I was out, that's definitely not how this conversation started. Definitely not. Um, what was the what was the answer to when we asked you about the mustache on your episode one seventy nine? I'm bringing sexy back. Okay, what? so that's not the focus of this. We're getting the joke. All the people who yeah. listen to this show really love the jokes, except me. But I don't. I don't have any jokes. I don't. I've got some jokes. for you, 
Alex, oh, I just said okay, that. Yeah. If you would just stop talking, then I could share the joke. Not my strong suit. <laughs> I saw two men walk into a photography shop yesterday. You would have think at least one of them would have spotted it. Did Scott write these? <laughs> I didn't. No ownership. Yeah, these are Scott's. Um, they're terrible. They're terrible. Ruining a photo is the easiest thing. I can do it with my eyes closed. I know they're awful. Oh, a squid with a camera is called a squid GoPro. Okay, I'm done with those. How does this show survive? This is terrible. (laughs) People drop off before this. (laughs) Okay, Alex, now is the time for you to promote the heck out of yourself. Where can people find out more about you? Your photography, your real estating, all the things. Hit us. I don't sell anything oh uh, in 2017 or 18. I'm so sorry. I don't sell anything. In 2017, I started a blog to document my financial journey. It's called Broke is a Choice. Uh, I don't have any click funnels. I don't sell you anything. Everything that I've ever done in finance and real estate is there if you want to see it. Uh, but it doesn't, I don't benefit from it in any way other than I get to hopefully help some people along the way. There's no financial incentive for me, uh, but that's it. Or you can follow my Instagram and you can see pictures. But what is your Instagram? Uh, that's my name, Alex Scott Felice. Alex Scott Felice. You say that like people just know how to spell Felice. Okay. We will include links to all of these things, both of those things, uh, in I our show notes. Everybody just follows me already. I don't how much. Well, they stuff? don't. So uh, we will include these links in our show notes, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show two four seven. And despite all of my ribbing of you, Alex, I am really very delighted that you joined us today because I think that you're story has a lot of people. uh, I think your story has a lot to teach people. And I think that there are a lot of people who are where you were just a few years ago. I think uh, that's probably true. I think that, that, like I said, a few times on the show, the the situation in American culture is uh, financially is dire. And people just need to take that red pill, wake up a little bit, take (laughs) take, take control of it, and they can fix it pretty easy. Okay, awesome. Well, Alex, I really appreciate your time today. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay, that was Alex Felice. David, what did you think of Alex's story? You know, I've known Alex for a long time, but I don't know that I've ever heard his story in one setting before uh, from the mistakes through. And he, he gets raw, right? He he even talks about a mistake that he made that, uh, yeah, I mean, the DUI that, uh, you know, a lot of people don't even want to bring that up publicly. And yet it was a catalyst for him changing his life. And I, I think Alex has a very good story, a very relatable story, but certainly not a unique one in the fact that it's it's something that a lot of us go through similar stories and it's just taking – he took ownership of his situation and he fixed it. He did so very quickly and I think that there's a lot of great advice in here. I love, I love messing with Alex and talking to Alex. It's always a good time. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The, the DUI – yeah, nobody's proud of having a DUI, but it happened in his past and taking ownership of that – not blaming somebody else for his problems. Hey, I was a mess. I did the wrong thing. I couldn't even pay that bill. And I lost my job, so I super couldn't pay that bill. I knew I had to figure this out. It was humbling to have to call my parents. It was embarrassing to me that I didn't have my stuff together. So now I'm going to make sure that I'm never in this situation again. And you can't, you know, when when life throws you a curveball, you can take the hit and be like, huh, I guess that just happened. Or you can say, oh, I should learn how to duck. Let me figure out how I can put, position myself so I'm never in this position again. And uh, sorry for using the word position twice in a sentence. That doesn't sound good, but it is what it is. 
longtime listeners of this show know that sometimes I just word vomit. Okay. But, you know, what I really liked about Alex is uh, towards the end of the story, he kind of epitomizes the quote, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. He did this log. He started investing. He made intelligent decisions. And now he chooses, he gets to choose how he's going to spend his day. And if he decides that he doesn't want to do something, he doesn't have to do it. And I love that. That's kind of the whole catalyst for this show in general is that once you get your money out of the way, you can choose to spend your life how you choose, how you want, how you, uh, you get to live the life that you want to live because now you're no longer worried about the money. And he said that money is a tool. And I just love that. It's not a value system. It's a tool. That's a really great quote. Yeah. And when he says, you heard him in the podcast say, you can't afford me. And people take that, I think, at face value of like, I'm so valuable, I'm so expensive. But I think what he means in the back end is is genuinely like, it's not a price tag that's going to convince me to do this. It's whether or not I actually enjoy doing it. And he's, yeah, he's he's in a good spot. It's awesome to watch. Yeah, I really do enjoy Alex and my conversations with him are always fun. Yeah. So thank you for joining us today. Again, Alex was talking about uh, surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded. If you need a place to go to talk about money in a safe place, go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. And we will welcome you with open arms and have all the money conversations you want. Encouragement abounds. David, should we get out of here? Absolutely. From episode 247 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is David Perret from the Military Millionaire Group. Where is your group located? Uh, Facebook.com slash group slash Military Millionaire. Oh, fantastic. That's easy to remember. I try. I am Mindy Jensen saying so long. See you later. Goodbye. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.